We can all use a little help every once in a while. And when it comes to college football coaching, I'm always for more ideas, more opinions, and more insight from people that can potentially help Oklahoma succeed. Brent Venables' staff has come together. He's got his 10 on-field assistant coaches, and Venables also continues to add on to his support staff. Everybody knows about Jerry Schmidt. The hope is that his expertise will help the Sooners regain more of an edge, help Oklahoma with becoming stronger, obviously, and perhaps as equally as important, more mentally tough. And a lot of you may be familiar with the name Thad Turnipseed, a new member of Oklahoma support staff. His official title, Executive Director of Football Administration. Turnipseed has quite the reputation, serving as the right-hand man to Dabo Sweeney at Clemson and also Nick Saban at Alabama. Now Turnipseed assumes that role at Oklahoma under Brent Venables. But outside of those names, I wouldn't expect many of you to be able to rattle off a detailed list of the rest of Oklahoma's football support staff. And honestly, neither could I. But what intrigues me about this new era of Oklahoma football is the number of analysts Brent Venables has already added to his staff. If you head over to the Oklahoma staff directory, the Sooners have six people with official analyst titles. By my count, Lincoln Riley had four analysts on his Oklahoma staff. By comparison, Alabama currently has nine football analysts on staff. Georgia, curiously, only has one person with an analyst title in its directory, and that's Will Muschamp, which I had no idea that Muschamp was with Georgia. But Kirby Smart also has six people on staff with a quality control title, which falls under the same umbrella as an analyst, if you ask me. How about Clemson? Dabo Sweeney has four people on staff with analyst titles, and Lincoln Riley's current staff at USC has three people listed as analysts, and that does not include Connor McQueen, who was on the Oklahoma support staff, but has recently joined Riley at USC. Now, McQueen was an offensive analyst at Oklahoma. Here's the deal. The impact of analysts is difficult to quantify. They're not allowed to coach on the field, but where they make their money is behind the scenes, helping with game plans, scouting opponents, coming up with interesting new ideas. It's all designed to give your team an extra edge over the other guys. Nick Saban seems to think analysts are pretty valuable, and he's the best coach in the game. And it would appear Brent Venables also sees a lot of value in analysts on his support staff. I like it. Brent Venables isn't afraid to add some new ideas into the room, add some extra help into his program. If Oklahoma is going to make a smooth transition to the SEC and ultimately get back to the top of the college football mountain, the Sooners are going to have to take things to another level. And Brent Venables looks to be pushing all the correct buttons so far. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Indeed, this is West of Everest. We're back after a few weeks off. Now, originally, my plan was to wait until Caleb Williams made a decision and then do a podcast. Well, here we are now more than three weeks since Caleb entered the transfer portal, and we're all still waiting for Williams to decide, although the heavy favorite continues to be USC. You know, here's the thing. I get that a lot of you are probably done with Caleb Williams. I get it. Grant's been pretty much done with the guy since... You know, he was non-committal about Oklahoma following the Alamo Bowl. I don't think we're going to talk all that much about him today uh, because I know the overwhelming odds are that he's not going to come back to Oklahoma. But there are some potential destinations for Williams outside of USC that I have heard, which is kind of interesting. And so we're going to save that till later in the show. We'll talk about it a bit. 
Speaking of a quarterback, Dylan Gabriel is in Norman. He's Oklahoma's projected 2022 starter. And you might all remember, if you listened to the last episode, that Gabriel committed to Oklahoma in the middle of us recording that last podcast episode. And over time, a few of you have voiced your displeasure of Grant's initial Dylan Gabriel take on that podcast. Thanks to all of you who commented on the West of Everest Facebook page. So I'll, I will ask Grant today if he has uh, softened his stance on Gabriel, if it stayed the same, if it's changed. We'll see. You know, we'll see if he doubles down on not being all that excited about the transfer from UCF. More quarterback stuff. There's another quarterback out there that Jeff Lebby is trying to bring into Oklahoma. That's Jackson Dart. I've watched some of Dart's tape from last season at USC. I'll tell you my first impressions of the kid. Plus, I'll share some insight that I've learned about where Oklahoma stands in getting Jackson Dart to Oklahoma. Meanwhile, Oklahoma has added more and more players from the transfer portal since we last talked. And I, I do believe they've lost a couple of players as well. Mario Williams and Latrell McCutcheon, both to USC. But one super important offensive player still on the Oklahoma roster as we speak. And that's a guy that Grant was certain was going to leave. Marvin Mims. So I'm curious to see what Grant has to say about that now that it looks like Marvin is here to stay. So without further ado, let me welcome in my co-host to West of Everest, Grant Benson. And Grant, I think you might have a lot to answer for today. Did I say I was certain that Mims was leaving? Uh, was that me putting words in your mouth? I, or is I that more tongue-in-cheek? I don't know. I thought there was... Um, I, think, I think my words were more along the lines of there's, a, there's like a pretty good chance that he leaves if Caleb Williams leaves. And it was only because he know. was... I will have to like, go back and check the tape. But it was because Mims was being really sketchy when he was directly asked the question and the bull lead up. Um, and now the, how we know how, you know... Caleb Williams was also very sketchy when he was asked about it after the bowl. And um, it just kind of seemed to me, it's just like, oh, these <laughs> these responses by both these guys seem pretty similar. Um, so, no, I mean, it sounds like Mims is going to be here, but um, also with just kind of the new reality of transfers and everything, we don't know. I mean, Mike, Mike Woods famously scored a touchdown in Arkansas spring game and then committed to Oklahoma like 18 hours later. So... Um, I don't know, man. I, I think, uh, unfortunately, I think we're probably going to have another round of transfers that we're going to have to live through after the spring, I would guess, again. Yeah, I, I do recall that your thoughts about Mims mainly stemmed from those bizarre comments that Marvin had after the Alamo Bowl when he said that he definitely wanted to be, no, I'm sorry, it was before the Alamo Bowl. My bad. It was a couple days before the Alamo Bowl where Mims said that he definitely wanted to be at Oklahoma but he hasn't made a decision, but he still wanted to be at Oklahoma. And it was just, it, it wasn't very direct. It, it was very non-committal. And if I, think I remember, he said something to. like along the lines of, I, I would really like to be at Oklahoma, but we'll see what they do here or like what they can. No, I think the, 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 the whole, we'll, we'll see what we do. That was only from Caleb Williams, that, that whole line of uh, Mims was just, he said that, See, I wrote it down. He said, I definitely want to be at Oklahoma, but he did then he but then he said like in the next sentence that he hasn't made a decision yet, but he still wants to be at Oklahoma. <laughs> it was it was it was weird. Um it was confusing. And you know, here's the thing. Like reading between the lines, it came across, and I think this is probably what you read into it, it came across as somebody who was open to seeing what else was out there at the time because Oklahoma was obviously still dealing with uh, you know, Lincoln Riley departing. 
But here's the thing, like Mims has not ever entered the transfer portal. And I mean, winter workouts are underway. I, you know, I saw that video that punter Michael Turk put out, I think last week, that it had Mims in the video, then they're going through workouts when they were going through their first day of workouts with Schmitty. And then you, you saw uh, Mims' dad on Twitter. He said, I saw a tweet where he said, quote, someone asked me if Marvin was coming back to OU. I said he never left. And then there's a bunch of exclamation points. And then Marvin himself retweeted that tweet. And so, it, you know, it, like you said, it, it appears he's staying. And I'd like to think that yours truly, this humble podcast host, had something to do with that. Like, I, I feel like I am a, a big, big reason why Marvin Mims is still here, Grant. Because earlier this month, I tweeted out that Jeff Lebby's offense has historically been pretty good for number one wide receivers. And I'll just, I'll, if in case you guys didn't see that tweet, I'll go over it real quick. It, I laid out in 2019, Gabriel Davis at UCF had 72 catches, 1,200 yards, 12 touchdowns. A year later, in 2020, Elijah Moore at Ole Miss in Levy's first year at Ole Miss had 86 catches, 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns. And last year at Ole Miss, Dontario Drummond led the Rebels with 76 catches, just over 1,000 yards, and eight touchdowns. So that's three seasons of a number one wide receiver in Levy's offense catching 70 or more balls. And the last time an OU wide receiver caught 70 passes in a season was Marquise Brown in 2018. And, you know, that it seems like, oh, that wasn't that long ago. It's, it's crazy that in 2019, C.D. Lamb didn't even get to 70 catches. He had 62 that year. And C.D. Lamb was maybe, oh, never, I was going to say maybe the best receiver in college football. That's not true. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase were also playing college football that season. But, uh, yeah, so Marvin Mims, it would seem, at this point, is staying. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say, he's a number one receiver type player. Maybe that's, he saw my tweet and he was like, you know what? Hey, like, I didn't know that. I'm going to stay in Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm sure it was all you, Lee. Definitely all you. It does make me wonder, though, if maybe Marvin Mims was was potentially not too pleased with uh, his his involvement in the offense uh, under Lincoln Riley. That would be this is total. I'm just guessing at this point in time of maybe what what he was referring to in that interview. And I'm I I think Occam's Razor says that that's probably what he was referring to. Um, Marvin Mims had 32 catches this year. That is just. For many reasons, that is completely unacceptable. But that's, I mean, that's that's just what... It, and, and he also only had, what, like 35 catches in 2020 as well? Almost. Uh, 37. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, so, yes. You, you, so, he, he did not lead the team in catches. That was Jaden Hazelwood. He had 39. Mims had 32, as you said. Yet, Mims, by far had the most receiving yards. <laughs> so maybe give that guy the ball more. I mean, he was an explosive play waiting to happen. We saw it in the Alamo Bowl kind of finally. And, uh, you know, I as a yeah, like how could he not be happy with his his usage in this offense? And that and that's a whole nother thing that we the last couple of seasons we talked about at times on this podcast of Lincoln Riley. It, for whatever reason, it's like he I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later. I have in my notes. I, I feel like I've I put this in my notes, so maybe we'll get to it at some point. But it just it seems like, for whatever reason, he doesn't prioritize or he has not prioritized 
getting the football to his best playmakers a lot over and over again. Like it's not been a priority, which like, I mean, yeah, he's never, yeah. Lincoln Riley was never a guy to force feed the ball to his best player. He never was. I I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of, I get, you know, they gave the ball to, to Rodney Anderson a lot in the first half against TCU in 2017. He was clearly a huge part of the game plan there. They got Marquise Brown involved a lot against Georgia in the Rose Bowl that year to the point where it felt like he was it felt like he was very obviously a a focal point in the game plan. Maybe and maybe more to a to a greater extent DD Westbrook in 2016 in the second half of that season. Um but even well, yeah, then whenever, I, I still think whenever Riley whenever Riley was the offensive coordinator those two seasons, there's evidence to suggest that he he got the ball to the D.D. Westbrooks and the Sterling Shepherds a lot more. I think in those two seasons, I'll go, I'll go back and fact check it here in a second. In those two years where he was the offensive coordinator, was at 15 and 16, was the last time that uh, an Oklahoma wide receiver had 80 or more catches. And I think that was Sterling Shepard uh, in, in 15, and then in 16 it was D.D. Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that sounds about right, I guess. And maybe it really is just the... Maybe it's 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 the 2019 CD Lamb, where I mean he still had 62 catches that year. That's nothing really to sneeze at, but also a guy who was he was so very clearly the best player on their offense, and he only touched it 62 times. That seems a little a little odd, right? Um, and then it was just it was uh, the usage of Marvin Mims last season, especially, and then in his his freshman year was weird too, uh, especially a guy who was so far and away clearly their best receiver on that 2020 team and he didn't even really play it seemed like he didn't even play a majority of the snaps in 2020 and so maybe there was just if on Marvin's end there was just sort of maybe some confusion about like where where am I in the offense what am I like it's like I kind of under Lincoln Riley it seems like I'm just a bit player I'm a guy who I'm they're just going to throw it to me down the field um which is, you know, in early part of 2021, Spencer Rattler's ability to do that completely disappeared. He just couldn't throw the ball down the field. Um, and then, you know, we saw it every now and then with Kayla Williams, but really it was just in the game against Texas, the one bomb he threw against Oregon, and then what? I mean, he had he had one bomb he had, that he caught against Texas Tech, and that was really it. Yeah, he had, he had five touchdowns this year. Uh, I'm looking back, like I said, in 20, uh, 2015... Sterling Shepard had 86 catches. Like it was, it was all Sterling Shepard. Uh, D.D. Westbrook had 46. So I mean, not too bad actually. I mean, Westbrook had 46. Duran Neal had 44. So I mean, they spread it around. But like by far, Sterling Shepard led the team. 86. Like he was the guy. So, like I mean, they based on the numbers, it would imagine it looks like Baker Mayfield. That was his guy. I mean, he went to Sterling Shepard quite a bit. And then we all remember 2016. I shouldn't say we all, but I mean, I remember 2016 a lot because that's when I kind of got to Oklahoma at News Nine tail end of 2016 and it was the dd westbrook show he he had 80 catches in 2016 the second leading receiver that season grant do you even want to try to guess i wouldn't have got this right if i had to guess was it's it not a joe wide receiver mixon? joe mixon yeah and he only had 37 which i mean for a running back it's so that's really good but i mean they force fed the ball to dd westbrook and they got the ball to joe mixon in 2016 but it's almost like when lincoln riley became the head coach over time i mean that kind of went away. Like 2019 was the prime year where CeeDee Lamb should have had 80 catches. <laughs> Just should have. He had 62. 
you know, the, the year before with Kyler playing quarterback, I mean, they spread it around to CD and, and Marquise Brown, which made sense. They were the two biggest playmakers on the team. Uh, and then, you know, so interesting. So, like, granted, we'll, we'll see what Jeff Lebby's offense brings, but it's good at this point now that Marvin Mims looks like will be there. But you kind of, uh, you know, you talked about it a little bit. Uh, you know, could he decide to leave? I mean, that's like you mentioned after the spring, the whole Mike Woods thing. Uh, like I can't remember if it was the Sooner Scoop podcast, if, the, if it was those guys, or if it was Gabe and Teddy on their most recent podcast. But uh, I apologize for not being to not being able to attribute it to, to the right person. But I, it's, one of them said that kind of threw it out there that it's always possible that Mims could go through spring ball and then decide that he doesn't like it at Oklahoma and doesn't like it with the new coaching staff. And at that time, he could still transfer. Which okay, fine. But and that's going to happen with some earlier, people. It's right? that's what I was going to say to your point. Like, that's the case really with anybody then. Like, it's the reality of the world we live in. Like, just be, just because a guy is there in March is there in April, you know, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that he's going to be there in August. And I know it's annoying, but it it just is. That's what it is right now. And that's kind of the world we live in. And I bet like, you know, if that happens in the spring, I I, I would guess it has it would have more to do with with somebody just not really. They look into the future and they're not really sure what their role is in the team going forward. I'm thinking guys like a, a guy maybe like Kendall Dennis. Like I don't I don't think there's any way that guy's still on the team after the spring. Uh, stuff like that, especially with all the DBs that they brought in in the transfer portal. Um, like I, like Josh Eaton, I, I I doubt is still with the team after the spring. Um, stuff like that. And whenever we are just assuming and theorizing about. Uh, why Marvin Mims is still here. I mean, you know, heck, for all we know, Marvin Mims was never going to leave. I don't know. But, like, let's just say, based on the theory we we're talking about here, he was not happy with his usage last year, and Jeff Lebby sold him on, hey, man, like, look at my, look at my teams. Look at my offense. The number one receiver here gets a lot of catches. I'm going to get you the ball a lot. And so if that's the big selling point to Jeff, from Jeff Lebby to Mims, which I'm sure it was, why wouldn't it be? You better believe in the springtime, he's going to make sure he shows Marvin Mims everything that he told him here to basically recruit him to stay at Oklahoma. He's going to get the ball to Marvin Mims here in the spring and show him that, yep, you're my guy. And one of the things that, you know, one of the things you can't really say about Dylan Gabriel is he's not, he's not scared to, to chuck it deep. I mean, that's his, it's his, in my opinion, it's his, it's by far his best ass, his best asset. The fact that he will, <laughs> He will indiscriminately throw the ball downfield to whoever is, is there. Um, and so, you know, that's... And I, and I still think going forward, that's going to be Marvin Mims' main bit. He's going to be a guy who does a lot of damage, you know, on streaks, deep posts, stuff like that. Um, there's there's a lot of that in the in the old... The, kind of the Bryles, Lebby, run and shoot like that. So let's let's look at the the current roster right now because, like... A few weeks ago, or I guess maybe after the Alamo Bowl, or whenever we were kind of like, oh, we, you know, Marvin Mims doesn't seem like he's fully in. Who knows? Is he going to maybe leave? Like, oh, there goes Caleb Boy. Excuse me, there goes Williams into the portal. Oh no, is Marvin Mims going to go? We we anticipate Mario Williams going, and Mario Williams is gone now. So the thought, like, oh, man, if they lose Mario Williams and Marvin Mims, but it looks like again, like Mims is here. So. Looking at the roster and the potential pass catchers for 2022, I mean, your top two guys look pretty good. You got Marvin Mims. He had, you know, he's, he's a number one type player. I mean, you hope. Theo Weiss, okay. 
he hasn't played a meaningful snap since 2020. You hope that he's going to be fully healthy. He's a five-star player. Can he finally live up to you know the hype? I know he was supposedly looking really good until he got injured in August. So Theo Weiss is back, and then after that, you know you got your Drake Stoops, who's a reliable guy. Then you got the Brian Darby's of the world, Jaleel Farouk, who now after the Alamo Bowl we have high hopes for. Cody Jackson was banged up last year, was kind of in early in the season. Who knows what Cody Jackson has? Trevon West. And then you get into your your incoming freshman. You got Jaden Gibson, who again incoming freshman, but he's he's a top one hundred player according to rivals. Six five one eighty five. What can you get out of him? And then also Nicholas Anderson, Rodney Anderson's brother, uh, at 6'3", 195. So, I mean, you can do a lot worse than that receiver group coming in uh, with, you know, an offensive coordinator in Jeff Lebby who is supposed to be one of the young, bright offensive minds in the game of college football right now. So when I, I give you that list of players, Grant, with the idea that Mims, it looks like he'll be there, I mean, that's your thoughts. I think, um, you know, going into 2022, I think um, that wide receiver group along with um, kind of what shakes out on the offensive line are going to be the two biggest things that determine uh, OU's fortunes in 2022. Um, uh, we can talk about the offensive line later, but, I, you know, going to that wide receiver room, it's you like to have Mims there kind of leading the charge in that room. I think that's a really good I mean that I think that guarantees that your wide receiver core is not going to be bad because there's a guy who is who can stretch the field has has proved it over multiple seasons now in the Big 12. Um but yeah, I mean there there you're you're really there's a lot riding on Theo Weiss going into the next season. And, and I would say a lot of a lot riding on Theo Weiss and also just, you know, I um my my feeling is that it's Jalil Farouk. It's it's you you need you need one of Jalil Farouk or Cody Jackson to take a big step. Um, just based off of what we've seen, it seems much more likely that that person would be Jalil Farouk. Um, so yeah, like I, the wide receiver group is a huge question mark going into last season. I think there's enough there on roster for OU that you can talk yourself into some things going right. Like I don't right. It doesn't it doesn't seem totally out of left field if if Theo Weiss just kind of builds on his 2020 and comes in and he's, he's, he's a chain mover, doesn't drop a ton of touchdown passes. You can talk yourself into Theo Weiss being a really good college wide receiver for OU. Um, and then of course it's not unprecedented for a guy in his second year on campus, a guy who we've seen, uh, you know, short bursts of it at least um, take that step and become a really good player. And I, I just, I, it's so yeah. I mean, and you know, you got Drake Stoops there already, um, we've seen Braden Willis um, as a pass catcher show. I mean, show flashes his entire career. I mean, he's he's Braden Willis has made some outstanding plays catching the ball in his career. It's never been consistent. He's never gotten an opportunity to be consistent in that regard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, and we'll get into Dylan Gabriel. But yeah, I mean, if 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 Theo Weiss and then Jalil Farouk can kind of shake out, we know what we have in Drake Stoops. Yeah, it's really easy for me to talk myself into thinking, yeah, I mean, there's that can be a pretty salty, you know, quartet or a pretty salty trio for OU, but things do have to have, have to bounce into place, um, and that's never a that proposition is never one hundred percent. A lot of the times, right? It's it's fifty fifty. Like half half of your questions, a lot of the time, are answered positively, and half of them are not. 
And I think <laughs> we're gonna go we're, we're, like we're gonna do a show Lee where we go back and we go over where we went wrong going into this season. And I mean, we can just take a tally of all the question marks this team had and which I mean, how many of them ended up in the positive side or on the negative side? It's probably gonna be fifty fifty. Yeah, we're actually gonna do that next week. That's the plan. We were gonna go back and look at our preseason predictions from our big season preview, which I think is our longest podcast ever. We, we almost went three hours. And uh, I went back and listened to uh, most of it the other day to remember what we said. And boy, I, not that any of you would ever go back and listen to that because I can't imagine you have the time or the interest, but it's very interesting <clears throat> hearing our thoughts from late August of 2021. I'll just give you a little bit of a hint. When we recorded that, that podcast, Grant, Trey Bradford was still at Oklahoma <laughs> and Trey Bradford was a decent part of our our big season preview talking about running backs and then two days later he transferred back to LSU or whatever it's, it's just man what a it wasn't that long ago but it felt like it was ages ago as the OU <laughs> football world turns I mean the last year of OU football has been bat s word crazy I mean it has been insane with all of this stuff yeah. uh, we all I mean I mean do you remember the Trajan Bridges and whatever situation. I mean, that was like last spring, well, was last wasn't it? Spring? Yeah. Last springish. Yeah. But it was crazy though. I was listening back. About an hour and a half into the episode, Grant, it was nuts. You were said you said that you had a feeling that Lincoln Riley was looking elsewhere. It was I did, I could not remember you saying that until I listened to it. And you're like, I was like, what are you talking about? You're like, hey man, I'm just feel I I don't know. Just I woke up this morning thinking that Lincoln Riley just might not be all in. I couldn't believe it. Do you remember saying that in the podcast? Uh, I'm, no. I'm kidding. You didn't say that. I uh, I specifically yeah, remember said. saying something like that when when he when he when the very first time he uh, he actually like acknowledged some of the job rumors when he started saying, "Oh, you know how I feel about this place." That's when my no, that's when didn't. my alarm bells really started to go off. Okay, yeah. So we're gonna do that next week. Uh, but you mentioned Dylan Gabriel, and let's transition over to, to Gabriel now and uh, Grant as you normally do you know whenever the news broke on our podcast live you know immediate reaction podcasting when Gabriel committed to Oklahoma you had a strong opinion and you always have strong opinions and, and you know here's the thing people love strong opinions and they also hate strong opinions that's why undisputed and first take is a thing like people just love when other people have super strong opinions about anything like nobody can kind of like it, it, it's like not allowed to have something in the middle, like having a, a, a lukewarm thought or take. Uh, so, I mean, you had a strong opinion on Gabriel. You weren't uh, you weren't really into it. So I'll give you you know, chance. It's been about three weeks or so. Have you have you changed your mind? Have you softened on it? Have you have you gone back and watched him play more? Do you think he's different? Because, I mean, a lot of people that listen to this show seem to like Dylan Gabriel quite a bit. And, and I have some thoughts, too. Uh, because I'll just say this before I let you go. I feel like I got overshadowed. Like your your dis dissatisfaction with Gabriel on the last podcast kind of overshadowed, you know, my kind of like tempered thoughts on Dylan Gabriel because I, I wasn't really, I, I wasn't really uh, challenging you. I wasn't saying you're wrong because I have some, you know, concerns too strong of a word, but you know, I, I'm not the, you know, at the time I was like, eh, Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. I kind of remember him playing a little bit. Nice player. 
but okay. You know, like I, I wasn't singing his praises, so it's not like both. You know, you were totally against them, and I was totally for him. We were both probably closer than a lot of people think. But I'll open up the floor to you, though. What do you say? Um, you know, I mean, I've my my stance is probably a little more softened. Um, and I mean, over the next God, what is it? End of January right now. I mean, over the next eight months, people listening to this podcast are 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 going to see and hear in real time me slowly starting to talk myself into Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> um, but that, but that, that's it's it's going to be a fan thing. Um, just in terms of kind of where I was like a month or so ago is that you know I'm comparing him to Caleb Williams, and I'm sorry, like there's no comparison between oh, the guys. You can't uh, do that. And and you're right, you you like that's. You know, that's probably not wise to do that. But at the same time, that was the reality. That's what OU, that they were going from him to this new guy now. Um, and so here, here's what I'll say. Is and will Dylan Gabriel be better than Spencer Rattler was the first five and a half games of 2021? Almost certainly. Almost certainly. Um, I, it's it's honestly because <laughs> Spencer Rattler was playing at a Trevor Knight level uh, earlier in the season. I, honestly, you could probably argue that Knight was better uh, than Rattler was the first five and a half games. Um, do I think that Dylan Gabriel is capable of elevating other guys around him at OU to make them into something special? No, definitely not. I, I don't. I and that's where I'll that's where I'll go into this. Where I think the biggest question marks going into twenty twenty two about kind of like the end result of where OU is going to end up is going to be all about that wide receiver room, that offensive line room, putting out a better product than they had in 2021. If they are able to do that, I am confident that Dylan Gabriel can 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 turn OU into a Big 12 championship style team and maybe, maybe probably, if they are going to compete for a conference title, compete for a playoff as well. Um, can they beat the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States of the world, and I'm like, this is me seeing Alabama and Georgia just play three weeks ago for the title. Can they beat those guys with with Dylan Gabriel, knowing what I know about him right now as a player? No, they can't. They can't. Why not? Why not? Stetson Bennett just won a national championship. It's a walk-on. I think that's a really terrible argument. A really t- and, and you know why it's a terrible argument for many reasons. Do, do do you think do you think you Oklahoma do you think Oklahoma has anywhere close to the amount of NFL players on it that Georgia did? No, no. I mean, but like the the point is though. Sure, next and season, also at this though, point in time, like, is, is college football is college you, football like, trending to the point where you don't need a like you can actually win a title without an elite quarterback. I mean, he's a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. He had he had the best year of his career. I mean, he he played well, but I mean, he's he's not Bryce Young. He's not Caleb Williams. He's not Bryce Young. He's not Caleb Williams. He's I he's a. Can we okay? First of all, Stetson Bennett was good this year. Actually, he was a he was a he was one of the ten best quarterbacks in all of college football. He was this good. Year. He was definitely. Like, but thing is, but Dylan Gabriel can be that good. That's that's kind of the point. Like, right? Do you Dylan think Gabriel's not playing on Georgia? Do you think that OU? Here's what like I'll say this. Do you think Georgia is winning that title two weeks ago without the number one defense in all of college football? No, no, no it, definitely not. So what you're saying is so okay. I, I get it. Okay, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like sure. Yes, Dylan Gabriel can beat the Alabamas and Ohio States of the world 
with a number one defense in college football okay, for yeah. sure with a ton of NFL guys. Oh God, yeah. Is OU going to have a defense like that anytime soon? No, no, they're not. Oh, I mean, they could. Why not? Clemson, Clemson had pretty no. good defenses pretty no. quickly under Brent Venables. No, they didn't. They were they were pretty they were pretty average the first two years under Venables. I mean, year three. That's not that far from now. And here's the thing: Clemson didn't have anywhere near as much talent at the start compared to what he's got to deal with now at Oklahoma coming in. Because as much as we're going to bag on Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch, the recruiting did get better. I mean, they did bring in some guys. I mean, on both sides of the football the last few years. I, I think they can win plenty of games with Dylan Gabriel. Plenty of games. I'm just That's, playing devil's advocate here, okay? Yeah, I know. I just like it's it's he just he has very clear physical limitations. Like, I mean, this is just watch. Yeah. He's small, he's so, robotic, he doesn't particularly move extremely well. Like he's he, he he ran he actually he ran a lot better under Malzahn this year than he was under Lebby and Heipel, and I'm I'm assuming a lot of that has to do with Malzahn's offense. Um but I mean he's 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 also a guy who just I mean if you if you watch a full game he makes a lot of kind of just like boneheaded decisions where you're just like eh. and I know that doesn't really show up in the turnover numbers but he can be pretty careless with the ball he's tiny he's little it's like there there are going to be some teams in the Big 12 that he absolutely eviscerates don't get me wrong he he's going to throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns on some teams in the Big 12 He's gonna make it. He's gonna make it look really easy when he does. But also in his career, whenever he's played a defense with a pulse, he's been pretty bad. Yeah. So I'll I'll expand on some of that. So I, you know, at the time when we talked about this last week or last week, three weeks ago, you know, again, I, my expectations for him are pretty tempered, and I was basing a lot of my thoughts on him based off of his numbers. And just a little bit of what I remembered watching him at, at UCF, which was, you know, here and there, not too much. And, you know, my biggest concern with him is his low completion percentage. In 2019 and 2020, uh, it, it, it was about the same. Uh, in 2019, that was when Jeff Levy was there calling plays. Gabriel completed 59% of his passes. And that was him as a true freshman. And just by comparison, just to get some context, Caleb Williams as a true freshman this past year was at 64%. And that was actually, Grant, <laughs> the lowest completion percentage by an Oklahoma starting quarterback since the aforementioned Trevor Knight in 2014. And uh, do you even want to take a, take a stab at where Trevor Knight was in 2014 for his completion percentage? 56. Nailed it. 56. He was uh, and, and so very was bad right in the middle that of season. That. He was, Trevor Knight was, was real bad that year. And so, like, what I understand about Lebby's system, and I'm not an expert on it yet. We'll learn a lot more as time goes on. But I, I remember you, you sent me a, a tweet you know, a couple months ago. You know, he's at a coaching clinic. And I think, you know, this system, they, they try to create easy throws for the quarterback, take what the defense is giving you. And so, if that's the case, you know, why does a guy like Dylan Gabriel complete only 59% of his passes in 2019? If, you know, if it's a system that's quarterback friendly. Then a year later, in 2020, Lebby out the door to Ole Miss, he was at, Gabriel was at 60%. So, I mean, about the same. What's interesting about Gabriel, his first two years in college, and last year it's interesting because he got hurt after three games, so he only has three full years of a sample. 
very consistent, incredibly consistent from year one and year two. Almost the same amount of passing yards, nearly identical completion percentage. The yards per attempt went from 9.2 to 8.6, but both numbers there are still very good. And the touchdown to interception ratio improved from 2019 to 2020. Uh, his QB rating, his first two seasons, were, was almost identical, 156.9 and then 156.3. So if, if anything, and he's consistent, and he's a good player. And I mean, and you're not saying he's a bad player. You're saying he's a good player too. Uh, like, like going into his fourth year of college in 2022, the hope is that obviously this could be his best season yet, being surrounded by Power 5 talent, reuniting with Jeff Lebby, and like you mentioned this past year when he was playing under Gus Malzahn, he was in three games, injured his collarbone on his throwing side. And I find it interesting that in those three games, again, it's small sample size. So, you know, maybe the entire season we w- this would have changed. But in those three games, he was at 68% completion percentage in, in a different offense. Because obviously in 2020, uh, at UCF, I, b- I believe that was still Josh Heupel. Uh, Heupel was still there. I- I'm not sure who they hired as an offensive coordinator if if Heupel just went, went back to calling the plays. Didn't look into that. But under Malzahn, he was at 68%, which is a, you know, a huge jump. But it's worth noting, though, that his yards per attempt, it was down from 8.6 to 8 in limited action. And, you know, eight, eight's not bad. Eight, eight still, it's not bad. But it's it's not it's not where you want an Oklahoma quarterback to be. It, based on the stats, there's probably a lot more short, easy completions in that system. And again, it's too bad we didn't get a full year of stats to see what it would have looked like in a Gus Malzahn system for a full year compared to Heupel and Levy. I think Malzahn is just is going to artificially kind of depress some of those stats, especially down the field stuff. He's Gus Malzahn, not really a guy who's known for chucking it deep very often. Um, I mean, it is, it's, I think you could, and I've, I've been watching quite a bit of 2019 and 2020 UCF sort of on and off here. And it just, and tell me if, if you get kind of the same feeling from watching them, they had, a, they had a, a huge, just sort of all or nothing offense where it was, you could tell it was so, it's so very heavily RPO based where a lot of the times your completion percentage is kind of dependent on you making the correct read down the field a lot of the time. Um, I mean, you go, you go and watch, I mean, they, he did, he, and this is, this is one of my favorite parts about Gabriel is that they, they threw the ball down the field with him a lot. They did it a lot to the point you, where you love chucking it deep. It's because that's how you, that's, that's how you score. That's how you, that's how you make defenses scared by chucking it deep. Anything else that you do is not scary. Like, I mean, there's just, I mean, I, I guess if, if like old school Wisconsin just, running through the A gap over and over again and not being able to stop it, that's probably intimidating in its own way. Um, but also not something that Oklahoma has to worry about a whole lot. So um, we're going to see, man. We're going to see. And this is why, it was why, like, I, if OU wants to, you know, fancies themselves, the program they think they are, they, or get to where they want to be, Dylan Gabriel cannot be the best player on this offense, is, is essentially what I'm saying. They need, they need Marvin Mims, Theo East, Jalil Farouk, Anton Harrison, Andrew Rame, whoever plays right tackle, they need all of those guys to be better players than Dylan Gabriel. Can we agree on that? Yeah, I mean, sure. Like, uh, 
I, I can't comment on that offense yet. I, I haven't sat down and actually watched like UCF games, you know, where you're seeing every single snap. I've just more watched, cut up bits of tape, highlights, things like you know, extended highlights from games. Uh, but but you know, but I have watched them and. I have grown to like him a lot more than I did when, when we did our last podcast. And I think he's got really good pocket presence for being so short in stature. I think he, he's super comfortable in the pocket. Hopefully Oklahoma's offensive line can get figured out so that he has a pocket a lot. I would say, I don't know if I would use the word comfortable to describe. He's got, he's got happy feet, hardcore, big time, got happy feet. Um, I don't, I don't. I guess maybe that's just part of his. Uh, to, I, to me, it looks like that's just part of his mechanic. That's part of his progression. That's part of his progression. Like he's he like when he goes through his progressions, like you can see it on the TV broadcast. I mean, he it's. I mean, Baker Mayfield kind of did that with his feet every once in a while too. I mean, he he kind of had. I don't know. I that didn't. I mean, sure, yeah, you're seeing that. I, it, that didn't really bother me that much. I mean, I my favorite part about Dylan Gabriel though, you mentioned that your favorite part is how he chucks it deep. My favorite part is that. For especially you know how how small of a guy he is, he's got a strong arm. He's got a really strong arm, and I I like that. And based on the numbers, it ain't as accurate as I'd like it to be. <laughs> I wish it was more accurate. I, I I need to watch more tape, and I'm curious to see how he plays in this offense. Because again, 59 percent, 60 percent completion percentage in this offense that's that's too low. It's got to be better than that. Unless um, and but, but unless but I, you're on, running quick, the ball I, really I well that, and you're hitting and and you're and you're getting a ton of. Uh, a ton of explosive plays in the passing game. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And the numbers say that that's what happens with his yards per attempt. I mean, over nine his first year, and eight point six his second year. That's pretty good. That's not bad at all. That's that's stretching the field. Uh, and for what it's worth, PFF College seems to like him quite a bit. Although you you and I have talked off the air. We, we don't put a lot of stock into PFF College anymore. But for whatever it's worth, PFF College likes him. And hey, here's uh, let's see. I do like I think because I know PFF just put out a thing recently that had him as as the eighth best returning quarterback, and and I do I I think I think he very likely is one of the ten best quarterbacks in college football. He probably is. He probably was going into this season, to be honest with you. Um, I just I I think one you take it. I'll I'll take that. Definitely, I'll take that. Um, but I still think there's a huge gap there. There, there's a huge gap, like you know, there's still a big gap between the Bryce Youngs, the Caleb Williams, and the C.J. Strouds. Um, in, in that regard, you know, I, like I said, you're you're probably gonna hear me, you know, hear me talk myself into him more and more as we get closer to the season. Um, I mean, we still have to see him, you know, in a spring game, all of that stuff. Um, hell yeah, I mean, what if we? Like, what if we go into a spring game and then, like, let's say, like, Jalil Farouk has, like, 200 yards and three touchdowns in the spring game. Just looks physically different than everybody. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's going to go a long way to me starting to think, okay, maybe they got something. Um, But, no, I mean, just knowing what we know now when it's really, like, we have Marvin Mims who we think he can be a lot more, but really his, his too long didn't read in the first two seasons of his college career is that he's a one-trick pony. He's just throw him, throw him the deep post, and that's pretty much all he can do. Um, we have Theo Weiss, who dropped, dude dropped 90 touchdown passes in 2020. I mean, but actually dropped 10. Like, that's, I mean, dropped that many, actually. Um, <laughs> I think he, I think he, I don't think he dropped 10, but I think he did drop more than he actually caught, which I think he had four 
I think he might have had four in 2020. I want to say he either dropped as many as he caught or it might have been one more. It's like we have, you know, we got we got Braden Willis who has made like four amazing catches in his career. And that's in terms of a pass catcher. That's basically all you can say about him. Um, and then you have just like kind of the the cool uh, collected confidence and of Drake Stoops, which you know what you're going to get with him. Um, but right now it's pretty much. I know what I got in Mims. I know what I got in Drake Stoops. Everyone else is just sort of, yeah. And I know at least, at least I know his freshman year at at UCF, he had Gabriel Davis, and we. I mean that guy is. I mean, you, like you saw him in the ASC championship game the other night. So. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, Je- I mean Jeff Lebby's coached. I mean, two NFL players. I mean, da- at least receivers, Davis and uh, Elijah Moore, who's now with the Jets, who was really good. Uh, but I I did want to finish up my thoughts on Gabriel you mentioned like his running numbers like he ran more in the miles on system I, I think he can move like he he does have some wiggle he's not a statue he can get no so, yes I, he is definitely not a statue he he moves he moves about as well as Baker does yeah and that's yeah, like, like it, but like he's but not, he's also nowhere yeah. near as big as Baker Baker is significantly bigger than Dylan Gabriel yeah yeah I'd, I'd say that uh, you know, we talked about his willingness to drive the ball down the field. You talked about that a lot. Um, I, you know, this is this Jeff Lebby? Is this Dylan Gabriel? Is this both? Probably both. I mean, the fact that it looks like in this offense, in this system, at least going back to 2019, like in 2019, his first year as a freshman, first year as a freshman, like he distributed the football to not one, not two, but but three players consistently. Like he got the ball into the hands of his playmakers often. And this goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast where I mentioned that I had in my notes that we were going to talk about this or I was going to bring it up is that, again, like, it's weird, but there's just something about the Riley offense that just it didn't seem like he put a lot of stock into getting the ball into his playmaker's hands often the last few years. Uh, but I, I will say here, here are my hangups right now on Dylan Gabriel. His size, and that's the biggest one. The more I learn about football, the older I get, the more experience I get watching, you know, watching quarterback play and learning about the position – the more I am not a fan of the slight of stature quarterback. And I really do think there's a lot to the idea that it's more difficult to see what's going on in the intermediate and down the field when you're looking over your offensive lineman. I don't think it's a coincidence that the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now are mobile, they have big arms, and they're also big dudes. Mahomes, he's 6'3". Josh Allen, 6'5". Herbert, 6'6". Tom Brady's not mobile, but he's 6'4". Joe Burrow, he's mobile when he needs to be. He's 6'4". I mean, being tall like that, obviously it helps. And I I know it's always helped, but I'm starting to see it more and more. And especially as I watch more Baker Mayfield in the NFL, how he's progressing, Kyler Murray in the NFL, how he's progressing. It's just, I, I really do believe that their size is a, is a big reason why I just I'm not sure they're going to be able to take take an extra step to where they're they're kind of I mean at this point Kyler's got a better shot than Baker just because Baker's kind of falling off a cliff but even Kyler man like I just I the size there is just I think that's really going to hinder them uh, so th- that's the big hang up the uh, I'll let you I'll let you comment here in a second my other hang up on him and this is one of those things we, we won't know about until we see him play. Like, he's coming off an injury. Like, you can't really quantify it, but, like, he's 
coming off an injury to his throwing side. So, I mean, is he going to be like collarbones, I guess, are probably pretty common. So maybe it won't be a big deal at all. But I'm just kind of curious to see how his arm strength is going to be. Like, will his arm be as strong as it was? Like, will he heck, will it be like a rookie of the year situation where it actually makes his strong strong his arm uh, stronger and more accurate and he becomes an nfl caliber player and oklahoma wins the national title grant what do you think wow all right um this may sound weird but i remember uh back in the day when adrian peterson broke his collarbone and i know you should never compare healing times or whatever with adrian peterson and anybody no but i just i just remember back in those days the the narrative always was collarbone injuries are not like they heal pretty cleanly and are not like a lot of the time is not going to give you like trouble down you know down the road um because your collarbone has nothing to do with like your like how you throw the ball i don't think it's just it's just it's just uncomfortable like because yeah your collarbone has anything to do with like the sock or the the sockets and joints like your hold on let me get my steno pad here take some notes it doesn't matter whatever i i that's fair. I, I think like you're you being worried maybe about his collarbone could also be folded into your concerns about his size as well. Um, he's, he's a small guy, and like I'm sorry, like it's defensive coordinators in the Big Twelve know what they're doing, and I can guarantee you a large part of the game plan in 2022 against OU is going to be putting Dylan Gabriel on his butt and hitting him as much as humanly possible. So I, I think it's a you know it's it's definitely a a legitimate concern on your part. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I, it's, it's, it's tough just because I, like, I, I truly do believe it's just the going from where we were and I get it. I understand that Caleb Williams was five and two as a, as a starter or five and two in games in which he was the, the quarterback of record essentially. Um, but man, I, I mean, I, I think he's, I think he's the most talented quarterback in all of college football. Um, and Dylan Gabriel, who is a is a good college football player, but I think that's kind of where it stops. Um, and yeah. I guess in my in my experience at OU, the only thing that I can point to and say that it's similar is ba- is Baker. I, I thought you know, I thought Baker coming in was kind of an afterthought. Um, didn't think it was realistic for him to win the job over Trevor Knight. I just thought that was kind of weird. Um, and then I, over the course of three seasons, I watched Baker turn into a gunslinger, a guy who just, who wasn't afraid of anything and would just kind of throw it any spot on the field into kind of like a cold, calculated, cool assassin who went through his progressions and diagnosed defenses before the snap and, um, turned into the number one overall pick in the league. I don't think Dylan Gabriel is, is, I don't, the chances that OU pulls that trick twice in the course of seven years I think is the chances of that happening are really really low um but we'll see I don't know I mean he's a guy like go and watch him play he's a guy who when he's playing well and if he gets the OU offense rolling and they get on a roll he's going to be a guy who is going to be really easy to root for because he does play with a lot of passion and he does wear his heart on his sleeve when he plays um and so when they're doing well it's going to be a lot of fun being there with him for sure um it's just at this point in time, it's really easy for me to think, man, he's gonna, like Dave Aranda is going to throw some stuff at him that he's not going to know what to do with. 
Yeah, it's, it's possibly true, but also at the same time, man, I'm really excited to go into the next Baylor game with Brent Venables at the helm calling the defense against Jeff Grimes. My goodness. And that's kind of like – Yes. That, that's where, like, uh, again, like you can't compare Dylan Gabriel to Caleb Williams, but you know, it's over. Caleb Williams is gone for the most – yeah, he's gone. Uh, but I guess I think where a lot of people, and me included, a lot of people in, in the OU fan base – are probably not that bothered. It's just like I think a lot of us probably think that the influx of Venables and this new staff, like that's going to make like we get it. They're not going to have an elite best quarterback in the country, but just the the change in the program, uh, the vibe of everything, like that'll make up for a lot of stuff Oklahoma was lacking the last handful of years. And that's kind of that's the hope. There's no way to you can't bank on it right now. But that's just kinda, that's what kind of gets us through into spring ball into the off season. Whereas like. Yeah, they lost Caleb Williams, but think about all the positive things they're adding with Riley being out the door and a lot of those coaches being out the door. And, and so I think that's sure. I guess and I that's get where that. a lot of OU and fans I, are. I feel like I've been pretty consistent with saying kind of like in the last show with my bit when I said, yeah, OU in 10 years is still going to be OU. They're going to be fine. Um, and maybe that's where I was just like, I'm my main focus is still the 2022 season. And um it's still very, very much the case that they are they are in a position they haven't been in in well over a dec in well over two decades. Um, this is the most change the program has ever, uh, you know, ha- has undergone in the modern era in, in one off season. That's I mean that's not even debatable, and that creates a that creates a lot of slippery situations, and um, that's all. You and when you're going through situations like that, you want as many dudes as you possibly can get. And um, at the at this yeah, point in time, they've I there's there's more certified dudes that have left the program that have entered the program. I think that's I don't even think that's debatable at this point in time. Uh, and I'm including been... and I'm including guys who have gone who are going to the NFL draft as well. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, that was gonna happen anyways. I mean, the only certified dudes that have left the program are probably Mario Williams. Probably, oh, he is gone. Uh, probably Caleb Williams. Other than that, like I, everything I else, I really was liked kind of Latrell McCutcheon. I really liked Latrell McCutcheon. Um, if we're yeah, but he couldn't get on the field. He when got, he did, he got he, on the field. He didn't get on the field in the last in November. You know, past that. Um, but I mean, I got to be consistent. I'm not just gonna like. I really liked Latrell McCutcheon. Thought he should have been playing a lot more over the course of the season. And just because he wasn't, I'm not just going to toss him in the trash and say, oh, yeah, I know I never never wanted that guy anyway. Um, no, no, I, I'm not saying that either. I just, and I'm also I, saying that's, you that's, don't think that you don't think that any of these corners they just brought in can can match the production of a Latrell McCutcheon. I can't. No, I do. Season? No, I can see that. Yeah. There's no one. There's it's I'd say it's very unlikely that anyone that they have on campus or anyone they can bring in is going to be as good as Nick Benito or Isaiah Thomas or Perry and Winfrey. That's just oh. not going to happen. I guess, I mean, Jalen Redmond is. Uh, but Probably not Benito, but, I mean, Nick, Isaiah Thomas was a project. Took him a while. I mean, they got some project guys. Uh, Perry on Winfrey was a guy, pretty inconsistent player, nice player. Uh, but, I mean, you never... Like, I mean, again, I mean we're talking about the defense. I, the this, is, staff. this is why I said the two most important question marks on the team are wide receiver and offensive line. I, I mean, it's it's going to be Oklahoma's offense that determines whether or not they're going to win the Big 12 next year. Um, their defense is not going to be very good next year. Just not going to be. I like I'm. I, I bet it'll be. I, I bet it'll be better than it was this past season. <laughs> I mean, that's not saying much. 
That's not going to be saying much. Um, is it going to be like a quote unquote good unit? No, I really don't think so. Really? Yeah. I, I think it will be. I think there's too much. I think, you know, I think you're losing in all likelihood three of your four best players in uh, Benito, Thomas, and Asamoah. Um, losing and I, I, you know, by far your two most impactful players in Benito and Thomas. Um, I mean, that's, that's going to be tough to replace even with the guys they have coming in, um, a totally new culture, a totally new system to learn. It may be more, it's, it's almost certainly going to be more complicated than what they were. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I think there's a good. I, I think there's a decent chance that their offense is really great next year. Can be really, really good next year. Um, I think if, if we're talking about like year zeros and giving people time, it's the defense where we need to do that because I see one guy on that defense right now who I think is like a legitimate, certifiable dude, and that's Jalen Redmond. And I think everyone else is a big question mark. I think you're you're really underselling it, and you're also underselling the fact that. There's a lot of players that can be made into better players because of coaching, and Oklahoma's got a right. lot better I, coaching. What's now. what? What point? What point do we get to though, where that becomes kind of obscene? Like where you're just saying, like, oh, it's okay. The coaches will take care of this guy in the offseason. It'll get a lot better. So I know a lot of people are talking about it with the offensive line, with just like, hey, it's hey, one one offseason, these guys are going to be stronger. They're going to be a lot better. Like we actually don't know that. Um, and culture and all of that stuff is not, is not just a six month proposition. This stuff takes years to build. Um, is it, is it possible that these guys that Riley and the previous staff gave enough of these guys on campus already a baseline so that when they actually have, you know, you know, when they have quote unquote better coaching or in a better strength and conditioning program that they just kind of take off. Sure, that's possible, but that is that going to be the case for everyone on the roster? Like, no, definitely not. Like at at this point in time, it's it's much more likely that Anton Harrison is just who he is than just some sort of sleeping giant who just needs the right S and C program. Okay, I. Yeah, I I guess I just don't like. It, I'm I'm surprised by how how down you are on so many things. I, I but again, it's just it's. I, I guess no, I get a lot it's, of it it's not from... that I'm it's it's that I'm someone's got to play devil's advocate like this is this is definitely the worst position they've been in since 1999 going into a season I mean I think they're in they're in pretty I mean given everything that's happened over the last two months they're in great position going yes into relative to what has happened they're in good position relative to what has happened in terms of like taking taking the last 22 seasons in totality and and judging where they were going into each of those seasons compared to now it's this is the most question marks they've had going into a season since bob stoops first year for sure okay but i i guess my and like my can you like, not so see what? how that can easily that can easily go in the opposite direction i don't think it can easily go in the opposite direction i disagree i and it's because i Really, what if Brent what if Venables Dylan Gabriel gets hurt? What if what if Dylan Gabriel tears his ACL in August, and you got Nick Evers or Ralph Rucker starting at quarterback? What oh, if? Here, well, here we go. Let's let's th- thanks for that because we got a transition. We're going way too long here because we got another quarterback to talk about, and that's Jackson Dart. 
Because my my answer to you would be, oh, well, they they probably are going to bring in Jackson Dart or Dylan Gabriel, whoever doesn't win the job. <laughs> because here's the thing. Uh, Jackson Dart's being pursued by Oklahoma and Jeff Lebby. And first of all, I, I want to talk about like what I've seen from Dart because I, I do think there's a great chance Oklahoma gets him from what I've heard. Um, and like, I know the consensus out there is that this guy is more talented than Dylan Gabriel. And based off the recruiting services, that's true. I mean, Dart was a four star. Gabriel is a three star or was a three star. I did watch some tape from Dart last season, and oh, surprise, surprise, there's things I like and there's things I don't like. And what I like about him, similar to Gabriel, I think he's got good pocket presence, especially for a freshman. He looked comfortable in the pocket. He's mobile enough to negotiate the pocket, move around, especially, again, like for a freshman. I, I got to give him credit for that. I think his mechanics, for the most part, are good. When it comes to throwing, I think he needs a little bit of work. Sometimes... Like, he wouldn't let it fly from a sturdy base. And I think that impacted his arm strength. And that's my biggest issue with him. It's like the opposite of Dylan Gabriel. The thing I like the most about Gabriel is his arm strength. The thing I, I dislike the most about Dart from watching, you know, some of his games from last season is his arm strength. I don't think it's anything special from what I saw. I think that's, that's my biggest note on Jackson Dart. Looks about average, average arm strength and not a lot of zip. His deep balls would tend to float. And like we knocked Dylan Gabriel, you and I, we knocked the first completion percentage. Jackson Dart in six games as a true freshman last year completed just short of 62% of his passes. So slightly better than Gabriel, but not by much. And what's, what's even more concerning about that number is that his yards per attempt was only 7.2. That's low. And... Like, remember how frustrated we all were with Spencer Rattler this past season because he it was checking everything down. He never took shots. We were all just like, take shots down the field. You know what Spencer Rattler's yards per attempt was this past year? <laughs> 7.9. And I'll repeat, Jackson Dart was at 7.2. So he was doing a lot of dinking and dunking at USC. Another problem I noticed, careless at times with the football. He had nine touchdowns, five picks, and he threw some bad picks. He put the ball into danger from time to time. Um, but you got to take into account, that was a bad spot last year at USC. They fired Clay Helton after, what, two games. He was playing under an interim coach all year. A, a defensive guy was their interim coach. And USC went back and forth between him and Keaton Slovis at times. I think actually Dart was injured in his first start against Washington State. His best game of the year, they won the game. And I, I think he didn't come in until later in the year, but they kind of went back and forth. And then finally, I think the last three games of the year he started and they, they lost all of them. Uh, but, but I hope that he comes to Oklahoma and like, you'd hope that if dart does come to OU, that Jeff Lebby will be able to kind of harness that talent that he has, uh, which he does have a lot of talent. I mean, I heard from dusty Dvorak a couple of days ago from somebody that dusty trusts. He, he said that dart is a guy that has talent to be like a first round type quarterback one day so that's what i've seen from jackson dart i don't anticipate i don't think you've done any research on him have you like do you, do you have no thoughts no, on i him? mean the only oh, i guess it only time i've really watched jackson dart is i watched a large portion of that washington state game live when it was happening uh was impressed with him um but also you know i can i can plainly see that he wasn't he was i mean he was quite frankly he was bad and essentially every game outside of that one so um He's a guy with moments. He had a guy Good with, and bad. yeah, yeah. So, 
My my thing with Jackson Dart is um I mean this is tough for me because like it's just been it's been one of those things where it's just like I, I mean I don't know it's it sounds like it's it's come down between OU and Ole Miss um with him and I don't know maybe USC is still an option to go back to USC I don't know. Um I'm a, I want his teammate. I want Michael Trigg. That's who I want. Um that's the guy that I think is Dylan Gabriel is a better player right now than than Jackson Dart is. Um, that is, I think that, that is clear by my eyes. Um, I, I just, unless, unless Jackson Dart was just getting, was getting terrible tutelage, um, at USC, which I doubt he was because Graham Harrell was there. Um, and that he really is just some sort of sleeping giant who is great. Um, I, I, I don't see any sort of scenario where he beats out Dylan Gabriel, uh, cause Dylan Gabriel, I mean, he's just put a lot better better moments on tape more consistently uh, over the course of two full seasons than Jackson Dart has in, in one half season. So I, I just, for the life of me, I just, I don't understand why anyone is entertaining this as an option. He's not coming to OU. I, I okay. I mean, I, again, I, I, Dusty had some good info on Dart and you mentioned it. Uh, he said that he's heard that it's, it's coming down to OU Ole Miss and USC is still in the picture. And the reason why USC is still in the picture is because of Caleb Williams. If, if Caleb Williams doesn't go to USC, then, I mean, the starting job for Dart at Southern Cal is pretty much right there. It's on lockdown for next season. So he could stay there. Um, although we do know that, you know, you know Lincoln Riley, <laughs> he'll, he'll conduct one of those sham quarterback competitions in the spring and the, the summer, though, uh, or the fall or whatever for him. Oh, but, yeah, you got to uh, establish that culture. On campus there. The, yeah. the culture of you BS of, of you BSing everybody and everyone just sort of going along with it. Yeah, have fun with that, USC media and USC fans. But if Caleb Williams does go to USC, as we all expect him to at this point, it sounds like Dart's going to have to decide if he wants to go to Ole Miss, where there's obviously a clear path to start there, or if he wants to go to Oklahoma and compete for the job with Dylan Gabriel. But there's some caveats, I think, to both decisions. Like, I think Oklahoma should be the favorite in this scenario simply because Oklahoma's program with Brent Venables and Jeff Levy is probably, and I, I, I don't want to say for sure because you, know, you never know what's going to happen, but I'd say probably more steady the next couple of years than Ole Miss. Like, what if Lane Kiffin decides he wants think, to leave? Do you think you're saying that just because you're really close to the program, though? I don't think that's at all the perception for people on the outside looking in. OU just, OU's Lincoln Riley and a lot of his staff just left and they have, they have a lot of roster turnover from the outside looking in. That doesn't look super stable. It, it is super stable considering the head coach is not going anywhere. That's the point. And Lane Kiffin is a, you know, the offensive guy, head coach, quarterback, like if you're a guy like Jackson Dart, can you see why that would be kind of of silly though, coming from a program that literally just had their head coach leave? Wait, say that again. I missed it. You're, so you're saying Oklahoma is a more stable spot because there's no way that the head coach is going to leave. And I would, I would counter that by saying, do you know how silly that sounds coming from a program that literally just had their head coach leave? Why is that silly? That's why they hired Brent Venables. And as long as Jackson Dart's going to be in college, Brent Venables ain't going anywhere. He's the head coach throughout Jackson Dart's college career which is all that matters I mean yeah sure that sounds right but we don't we do not know that 
Okay, Grant, let me ask you this. Who has a more, more of a chance of leaving in the next two years, Brent Venables or Lane Kiffin? Probably Lane Kiffin. That's the point. Like, what? how do you not see that? Okay, I do see. I see what you're trying to say. I'm trying to tell you that if an outsider was looking at this and you said to yourself, hey, come, come, come be with us at Oklahoma. We just had our really young, high-priced coach leave in the middle of the night, but don't go to Ole Miss because it's way, it's way less likely for our, our high-priced coach to leave. When it literally just happened. Grant, I, you're not making any sense right now, man. I'm making, you're not. I, okay, so maybe I'm, I'm do, I must be doing a poor job. D- describing this, but do you, do you not, do you not okay. see where I'm coming from at all with this? I, I don't know. OU's please, please head coach literally just left. Okay. I get that. It happened two months it. ago. I saw it. Yes. You don't think, you don't think from an outsider's perspective, someone would look at Ole Miss and Oklahoma and conclude maybe Ole Miss is a little more stable right now. You don't see how anyone no. would see that. No. Not when you're a quarterback. No. Because, like I asked you two minutes ago, who has more of a chance of leaving the next two years? Lane Kiffin or Brent Venables? Or, heck, Lane Kiffin or Jeff Lebby? I mean, what what is it? Today's January or whatever. Let's go back to to September 1st. If you would have asked me who who has a better chance of leaving in the next two years, Lincoln Riley or Lane Kiffin, what would you have said? Lane Kiffin? Yeah, like and but what actually like, happened? Yeah, Lincoln Riley left, but like Brent Venables literally took the head, the head coaching job at Oklahoma, be, like his the one place that he would take the head coaching job. Sure. How many people do you He's think outside of dedicated OU people know that that was the one place that Brent Venables was going to take a job? Grant, like they're talking to Jackson Dart. They're explaining this to him. He's a quarterback. Quarterbacks want to go places where. There's like a steady, uh, their coaches are steady. Lane Kiffin is not a steady guy. And if it's between Ole Miss and Oklahoma, and you know Brent Venables isn't going anywhere, and they have Jeff Lebby, who's definitely going to be here for 2022 and most likely 2023. I don't know why he'd be going anywhere because Jeff Lebby is an Oklahoma, and he's from, uh, I'm not sure if he's from Oklahoma, but he went to OU. Oklahoma for a quarterback, a Jackson Dart, is much more stable than Ole Miss. Sure, okay, but... Close. Okay, sure, but also Dylan Gabriel is on the roster at Oklahoma. He's a guy who okay. has started over 20 games yes. in his career and has had a lot more success than Jackson Dart has. Like it doesn't okay. and that's part of the equation as well, and I haven't gotten to that part yet. And I'm that's just saying like you you sitting here and telling me that I'm crazy for even I'm not even I'm not even disagreeing with you. I'm just sitting here saying that from an outsider's perspective, it's not unreasonable to suggest that maybe OU's program is not super stable right now, even though they just had their head coach leave and are having a ton of roster turnover. Okay, we're comparing it. We're not comparing Oklahoma to Alabama. We're not comparing Oklahoma to Georgia. We're comparing it to Ole Miss, who has a head coach that has had multiple jobs in the last five years. That's the equation here. Sure, an outsider can look at Oklahoma and say, yeah, it's, that's not a very stable program. People that know anything about college football know that it's, for everything that's happened, it's pretty darn stable now. They got Brent Venables here. And they got a lot of really good coaches coming in. So, like, I, 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 don't, I don't understand really, like, 
the the better point you're trying to make like the better reason why he wouldn't come here is because of Dylan Gabriel not the stability of the program that's like the big reason why he would definitely come to Oklahoma okay I'm I, I was pushing back on your original comment which really which okay which which you just said as just like as it would be crazy for anyone to disagree with you and I'm just like it's like OU like seriously has has just gone through the most like destabilizing period in the program in the last 20 years and you're gonna sit here and tell me the program's stable that's absurd I'd say for Jackson Dart a quarterback Oklahoma in the next two years which is if he you know was a guy that went to the draft after two years if he's that good the next two years Oklahoma for his development or I shouldn't maybe not development but as far as like stability compared to Ole Miss where Lane Kiffin could literally leave after his first year there which is the only reason why he would go to Ole Miss because of Lane Kiffin yes Oklahoma is more stable than Ole Miss because you don't know what Lane Kiffin's going to do and you know Brent Venables isn't going anywhere and sure I don't know anything about Jeff Levy but I would bet a lot of money he's going to be here at Oklahoma for at least the next two years which is when Jackson Dart's going to be in college still and the Dylan Gabriel factor that it's going to come down to and this is what Dusty reported or told us like it's going to come down to whatever jackson dart is feeling as far as like is it going to be a play for the now or is it a play really for the future because yes he can go to Ole miss and start right away okay great like he can and it might work out and lane kiffin might be there for a couple of years and he could develop him and he could turn into a great player yeah or he could go to oklahoma where i do think there's more stability i think the offense is going to probably be better there's gonna be more probably more talent around him compete with dylan gabriel Maybe beat Dylan Gabriel out, maybe not, but I'm pretty sure it's understood that Dylan Gabriel is a one-and-done type of guy. Like, this, like, he's playing on this to be his one year at OU, and he's gone. And so Jackson Dart then would have, have the job, you would think, in 2023. And you made a face there. Like, I guess you hadn't heard that. I thought that was out there. No, I've heard that. I just think it's, just think it's silly for Dylan Gabriel to think that he's a one-and-done guy. Yeah, He's a guy I, who I mean, should be trying so, to play as much college football as humanly possible because it's going to be the high point of his life. And I tend to, I definitely would agree with you more on that. And so if that's the case where like, I think that's why if Dylan Gabriel was, you know, he's going to be there and he's going to win the job. And like, I don't think Jackson Dart would be entertaining Oklahoma at all, but I do think that's understood that he's considering himself, you know, he's, he's a rental for a year and he wants to go, try to go to the NFL and, Heck, maybe even Dart is confident in his abilities and come in and beat him out. And then Gabriel's like, crap. I, I truly did just gamble on myself, and I lost. I, um, I don't see it playing out like, like that. I think that would buck a lot of trends um, that we see just with players these days. I, just, I, I find it really hard to believe that Jackson Dart is going to spend a one-time free transfer to come and be Dylan Gabriel's backup, which is what is going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I he's, think uh, he's going to be at Ole Miss. I, I, I think US. Teddy Lehman. I, I think Teddy Lehman said it on their podcast that he's he's pretty convinced uh, Dark's coming to OU. I don't know who he's talking to. A, but. Hey, like, and if Dart wants to come to OU, that's awesome. Yes, I would much prefer to have Jackson Dart as the backup than Nick Evers, like a hundred out of one hundred times. Um, whoa, whoa, if, whoa, whoa, whoa! How dare you? How dare you just go right past Ralph Rucker? The next I'm sorry, we live in reality here. We're, we're, we're talking about scholarship players. But, um, hey, man, Ralph Rucker beat out, uh, you know, he was the third stringer. But like I said earlier, I, I like my, 
my main interest in Jackson Dart, and this is this is this is not any sort of commentary on his worth as a human being, but I I want him for his teammate. I want Michael Trigg. That is that is the that is the guy that I want. Okay, let's switch gears here. What else we got here? All right, so the rest of Oklahoma's news and notes stuff. Uh, let's go with how about the we, we talked about Mario Williams and Latrell McCutcheon a little bit. They're going to USC. You know, it, my first thought is, at least on this podcast, sure would be interesting after all of this if Caleb Williams does not go to USC. <laughs> like, mainly for Mario Williams, because isn't that kind of hanging him out to dry? Like, I, I'm, I'm sure that's probably why he's going to USC. I mean, granted, he, he probably went to OU because of Caleb Williams and also Lincoln Riley. I'm at, this, I'm at the point where is Caleb, Mario Williams has no idea what Caleb is doing. Because they don't, they don't, <laughs> nobody knows at all what they're doing. Yeah, it's very interesting, man. Uh, and, and we'll like, talk, yeah, talk you about Caleb a, here in a little bit. This is, I mean, you're right. The, like, from an OU's fan's perspective, by far the dream scenario here is like Jackson Dart ends up at OU and Caleb Williams doesn't even go to USC. That would just be, <laughs> hey, I mean, even even if Dart comes that's, here that and Williams possible. goes to USC, that's that's just a juicy storyline anyway. With itself, they just they kind of did the QB swap. Um. But I, I, I'm rooting for that to happen. I want I want Lincoln Riley at USC to be as to be just the the most difficult rebuild ever. Yeah, just my random opinion. I I figured just to put a, a period on the Jackson Dart stuff. If Caleb Williams doesn't go to USC, I I think Jackson Dart stays at USC because he he thinks okay, I'm the starter. Lincoln Riley's here. He's done great things with quarterbacks. It'd be dumb for me to leave. Let's boom like. Riley's not going anywhere, like, at least in his college career. Like, Riley's not going to go anywhere in two years. So, Jackson Dart, I mean, yeah, you're I don't right. know. Okay. What if, like, you show, you're right. What if he gets a year two at USC and, like, what if, let's, what if, they, what if they go six yeah, and know, six next year? And yeah, what if they're, okay. like, they're four and three in year two and, like, they've, she's like, oh, sure. God. It's just like, gosh, this is. Well, for Jackson Dart, though, he, he'd be done. Like, that, like, then he he's he wasn't very good then because he was a big reason why they were probably six and four or whatever you know because like again darts got one year under his belt two more to go before he's draft eligible you would think that if caleb williams goes somewhere other than usc dart i can see dart staying at usc and thinking i want to spend these next two years under lincoln riley and i'm going to hopefully be an nfl prospect because yeah i mean if you go back and you listen to um this may have been a week or two or so ago but they they talked about uh, about Jackson Dart and USC on the Sooner Scoop pod pretty, you know, in depth, um, and they made it. They made it seem that Jackson Dart went into the portal after feeling kind of misled by Lincoln Riley about the whole Caleb Williams thing. Oh, okay. Um, and if that's the case, I don't. If if it is kind of the human emotional side, the reason why they decided to get into the portal in the first place. That part of me is just like, why would you just go back to USC if 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 in that relationship it's already been established that Lincoln Riley can't <laughs> is not is not keeping to his word? Um, but that, I mean that's speculation at this point. You know, I it's, hey, I mean, sure, it's speculation. But I'll why would a person like Latrell McCutcheon, who uh, why would he go and play for a lot of the same coaches? Why indeed? That he, he was Nick just Benito was wondering with. that too. Yes, and so was Bob yeah, Stoops for tweeting yeah. that that stuff as well yep, yep. see that's, that's the stuff so, i, I mean, want to like know i want to hear all the gossip on that 
I want to know everyone yeah. in the know. I want to know what Bob knows. I want to know what Bob's thought process was before retweeting that and giving like little <laughs> eyeball emojis. Man, Bob is... Uh, he could not like... He found a way to make somehow everyone at Oklahoma loves him even more than before. Like, it's just, it's incredible. Like he's just a straight up legend, man. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I love him hey, a lot more than I did. Uh. I feel like I kind of like, so this is obviously I feel like in this podcast, I'm coming off as kind of like the resident guy in the fan base who is just like trying to pump the brakes and trying to maybe rain on everybody's parade. Like I, I, I promise you privately and in my own head, I'm, much more optimistic, much more excited about next season than I'm just like, I, my brain is kind of in the sense where when everyone starts to get super optimistic and a lot of like, kind of like the, um, some of like the red flags that in my eyes are pretty obviously there and other people aren't even paying any lip service to them. That's when I start getting nervous. That's when I really start getting nervous to where I'm just like, okay, like there actually are some issues here that you guys need to look at because I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be just super upset in the fall when they rear their ugly head and they lose three or four games. It's like one of those things where it's just like it's. I well, I think, and I think the pushback by like me and probably a lot of people is that some of the red flags you see, I think a lot of people just don't see them as 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 big of red flags as you do, and that's just putting a lot of trust and faith into certain people that have been injected into the program. And sure, a lot of that probably is bias from the previous regime where we're, I mean, there's some sour grapes involved, no doubt, but also there's stuff on the record for the last few years where we have been critical of a lot of stuff. And now, it's, so it's not like it's just coming out of nowhere, whether it be, I know, you, I mean, you've talked more about strength and conditioning than I have, uh, but culture, I think we both talked about a decent amount. And over time, I mean, the culture just seemed to be getting more and more rotten. And it came to a headwind in 2021. And so, yeah, I get it. Brent Venables is new. Uh, he's never been a head coach before. A lot of new stuff. But I, I'll, I'll, I'll maintain that this guy is the most qualified first-time head coach maybe in college football history. And, like, I, that means something to me. And he's a better coach than he was uh, 10 years ago whenever he first, you know, he moved from OU to Clemson and was taking over a brand-new defense there. Like, I would like to hope that being a better coach 10 years later makes it to where there's a, a more of an opportunity, more of a chance that Oklahoma's defense can be better quicker. And I think there's going to be probably more talent that he's dealing with than he, than he was dealing with when he got to Clemson in 2012. The difference, though, is that the ACC back then, and you know, the ACC's not, probably not as good as the Big 12. And the Big 12 is not the SEC, or as much as I hate to admit it, even the Big 10. Uh, so the Big 12 is going to be more challenging. So that's that's kind of where it is. So, uh, so that's where I think where I push back at a lot of the possible red flag, like, you know, Schmitty, you know, uh, the strength and condition, like that could get, get bad. Sure. Like, yeah, like, I guess. Uh, and that's know, actually that's that's, that's a thing that I've yeah. I've totally softened on since I, you know, since I had a, sort of a, a reaction to it when it was first announced. I'm not I'm nowhere near as concerned about that. Um, and it was because there was just. I, and I did I did my due diligence on this. Not really a whiff of issues at Texas A&M at all with Schmitty. So hmm. um, if that's the case, then, you know, I mean, I don't think that's going to be as much of an issue. What I still think could be an issue is just is this massive culture change because I do think they are undergoing a big one. And then you have to start, as, especially with so much roster turnover as well, the guys that are still there, you have to question, 
are they the right guys for this culture that they want to build? And if they get through sure. the spring, you're gonna they're gonna find out a lot of that over the course of the spring. Yeah. You get through the spring, what if it, what if the answer to that question is no, not really? How many of those guys sure. do they bleed? That's, that's true. How many they uh, how that's many true. leave? Um are these new guys that they're bringing in, are they going to be able to uh, you know to be fits with the culture? They're going to be able to fit in with the guys that are already there. Um there's just there's a lot, I mean, new coordinators on both sides of the ball, totally new ways of doing practice, new ways where their time is is um is, is all you know is is scheduled out there's just, it's just a ton of change human beings can deal with change but they don't like it and it and it, yeah, it, man, t- it takes a while to get used to that the last couple of things you said there like to me that's that's going to be good change though like i think human beings don't mind good change i mean you got a guy that's going to come in and run practices probably very similar to like dabo sweeney ran practices and he's got Player, like players, you got coaches from that staff, and like some influence there, man. Like you got Jeff Levy, like, who came think, from the SEC. I think, be, and I and I think this is because of, I mean, really, you know, kind of the unprecedented outside of Ohio State stability of the program. The fact that since Bob Stoops came about in 1999, I mean, OU is one has won ten games in what eighteen of those twenty two seasons, and in one of those seasons, it was it was they won nine games and they would have won 10 if it wasn't for a COVID shortened season. Like, I mean, that's, that's pretty insane stability. And I think when that, when that is consistently happening over the course of multiple decades, people just get used to it and they expect that that's what's going to happen. And it wasn't that long ago that Kirby smart was hired at Georgia and they went six and six as inaugural season. And then they were playing and then they, they were one pass away from the national championship the next season. Like, I mean, it's those, those transition years and those culture changes can make that year one look really weird. It really can. You have to go back and look where Georgia was whenever Mark Rick left. I mean, they, I know Georgia was good, but I I mean, I don't think they were, they weren't consistently up there like where Oklahoma is. I mean, like them going six and six that year probably was surprising, but. But I'm saying they went six and six with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and all of the same players that they almost won the national championship with. That's what I'm saying. Wait, they almost won the national championship the year before. Oh, you mean the next year? Okay, yeah, they. It was. I'm just saying all of the all of the main players, a vast majority of them, that got them one play away from the national title, also lost six games the previous season. All the same guys. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it sounds like you're making an argument for like Brent Venable. Like, okay, my like, argument is that just talent. My argument is that 2022 could be could by OU standards relatively could be a bad season. That's what I'm saying, and that sure. all of okay. and the warning signs are very much there. They're very much there. Yeah, and and, and I agree with you. And I I'd like to hear. You know, I guess I don't know the pulse of the program, and I've reference this i think maybe the last podcast that doesn't really bother me just because this amount of drastic change that's out of nowhere so like in my mind i told you this before like year one like yeah it'd be great if they won the big 12 and like compete like but if they don't i don't know like any if they go like eight and four like all right whatever like how do they play like what like like i guess i just that doesn't really bother me that much because there is a lot of change. 
But I guess maybe that's why. Maybe like my bar was so much lower than yours. And everything they've done since the transition has gotten gotten me more and more excited. And they've they my opening take. Brent Venables has pushed a lot of the right buttons so far that it keeps getting better and better in my mind. To where all right, yeah, I could I could definitely like. I still I'm not sure what they're gonna do, but I still think that they like. I shouldn't say still. I'm not sure what they're going to do. But man, there's a lot of talent on this on this roster. I think Brent Venables is a really good coach, and there's a lot of good assistant coaches here. This team most definitely could potentially win the Big Twelve next year. Why not? Like, but if they don't, okay, I think they could like, too. It's year one. I think they could too. I just it's the chances that they hit the ground running right from the beginning, and that there are no hiccups are really the chances of that happen are really low. Um, and yeah, I don't know if it's really low, but it's, and it's I possible. Just, and I'm just and I think the fan I just, base I is feel be like forgiving. The, Right now, the general demeanor of the fan base towards the program is overwhelmingly positive, as in Brent Venables is pushing all of the right buttons, doing all of the right things right now. And I largely agree with a lot of that. Essentially, what I'm saying is until they kick things off in September, it doesn't really it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Don't you think, though, that the fan base is going to be really forgiving? No, like, I will not. Especially depending. I do. I mean, I think we've learned a lot about if OU Oklahoma comes out next year and goes seven and five, eight and four, they need to totally reevaluate, like reevaluate everything they're doing. Well, it depends on how they do it. Sure, yeah, like everything being equal, everybody stays healthy, and like they lose five. Yeah, okay, that because I'm going in like, like the defense I, is bad. I, and, roster wise, roster wise, the only team that should should even be able to think about beating OU is Texas and Baylor going into next season. That's it. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm kind of hoping that you know, all the years we talk about how like Oklahoma's roster is so much better than everybody else, and yet Oklahoma still finds a way to lose a random game here and there. <sighs> Britt Venables has been spending a lot of time in the ACC with Dabo Sweeney and knowing what it's like to have a better roster than everybody else, and actually utilizing it and winning every game and, and beating all those teams they're supposed to beat. Please bring that to Oklahoma into the Big Twelve. Please bring that mentality. That takes and attention. Get the most that, out of your roster. That takes attention to detail really really wanting to do that week in and week out um and and we know Brent Venables is a guy that's that's into that I think you and I can agree though that has not been the culture of the program since Lincoln Riley has been there and I think I think that will be the culture of the program going forward under Brent Venables I don't think it's a sense that that happens in year one I think there's a very good chance that there's still lots of remnants left over from the past culture um but hey, like I, I'm, I'm right there with everyone else though. It's absolutely crossed my mind too. What if all their question marks turn into big positives and they like I could easily see them being a really really good team. Um, then it just goes back to what I what I said at the beginning. It, that's going to start with Theo East and Jalil Farouk taking a step and the offensive line taking a massive step. Those are those are the most important things to get right right now. Okay, we're going a little longer than I thought we'd go. Looking at the rundown, is in the news and notes column, anything in there particularly that you're dying to talk about? Hold on, I got I to gotta look at the rundown for the first time. It's just been straight fire. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, That's fine. Williams and McCutcheon transfer into USC. Um, I'm more... Yeah, I mean, we started talking about that, and then we got derailed. I'm more apt to say, just like, whatever, good luck. I, you know, it's... Um, Mario Williams and Latrell McCutcheon weren't you know, weren't the face of the program and the quarter and the quarterback of the team. And 
So whatever. And they want to go do whatever they want to do. That's fine. Um, Jay Valai uh, being the corner. Like, what, what can we say about that other than, yeah, I mean, it sounds great. Um, I think kind of the, like, kind of the more, when it, maybe one of the funnier things you can say about it is that it's going to be nice to actually have a cornerbacks coach coaching corners, um, <laughs> which is, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm upset. Like, I mean, we, Feels like like we we kind of talked ourselves into like I like Roy Manning being a good member of the the well, coaching staff even though we totally forgot that he was wasn't even a defensive backs coach by trade, but then I have well, to go back thing, and though, I have to tell like, myself he got freaking Trey Brown and Trey Norwood drafted. Yeah, yeah, no, he the corners were improving, and we got to remember, sure, like it's it's a joke, like oh it's nice to have a corners coach coaching the corners now. College football or just not just college NFL like position coaches have lots of different positions they coach throughout their careers it's not like sometimes they'll go from offense to defense so like it's not it's not super rare to see somebody that coached linebackers then coach corners like it granted at usc I, i'm pretty sure now manning is back to coaching linebackers and i think nickels or something uh but yeah so i got two things on jay Vali. one is is new today so today we're recording on the 25th I, I did see that gentry williams he tweeted out that they've closed the deal that the player from tulsa who is commit, you know, was committed to Oklahoma, but he didn't sign during the early signing period. So it would, it looks like based on that, he'll probably be signing on signing day coming up here in February. Uh, I guess he's the number one player in Oklahoma. I guess I didn't know that. So good to get him finally locked down. I saw he tweeted out some pictures with Jay Valai. So great. And then the second thing on Jay Valai that I just find interesting uh, is that go back to the Alabama Georgia game that just happened a few weeks ago or whatever it was a couple weeks ago, and. Alabama was down two of their best corners in that game against Georgia. They were down uh, Jalen Armour Davis, who is going to the NFL, and Josh Job, who I, I don't know. I'm assuming he's going to the NFL too. I don't know. Yeah, he uh, was. So, he's their best corner, I think. Okay, so there you go. Uh, and so Bama's top corner in that game was a true freshman, that Kool Aid guy, Kool Aid McKinstry. So he was their best corner in that game, but their other two top corners were out so that means that they had really i mean i, I don't think i don't think kool-aid was a starter I, I don't know if he was a starter from day one or not he might have been i don't know if they like if it was like an ou situation where they were rotating a little bit here and there but anyways two of the top three guys were out and so they were down to their what third second third fourth string corners in that game and watching that football game i thought the corners and the defensive backs held up pretty well against georgia like imagine oklahoma being down uh, Woody Washington and DJ Graham for a game against a really good team and I know Woody was out for a, a large portion of the year and even just with Woody out the, that stretch of the season where Oklahoma could not figure out who to put across from him uh, across from DJ Graham and they were they were worse than they were for like four games than they were in 2018 defensively and so I how much does that have to do with Jay Valai how much does that have to do with Nick Saban the D, like uh, how much does that do with uh, Golding? I don't know, but like the fact that his position group was down a couple of their best players, and the corners looked—they held up against Georgia. That—that's something. That's a positive thing to me. So I wanted to point that out. What else? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's been—he's jumped around enough. I feel like in his coaching career, he's still pretty young. We don't—we don't really know what we got with Jay Valai yet. Um, so we'll we'll, we'll kind of see how that one how that one turns out. Um, I don't know. It's okay, what else it is, in the yeah, rundown? It's just like it's it's what I mean. I I definitely I remember when when Roy Manning was hired. I I remember f feeling kind of iffy about him being a kind of a linebackers coach by trade. 
Um, I don't feel like this. Uh, I don't feel like that this time. There is part of me who was thinking to myself. I was like, eh, did Alabama want to retain this guy? If they didn't, why not? Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, those are the questions that have to be asked. But we'll we'll, we'll see how he does at OU. Might have something to do with uh, the fact, like you said, he's gone. He's jumped around quite a bit, and uh, potentially, yeah, like why wouldn't you know, like you'd think, oh, if Alabama really likes this guy, maybe they would pay up, you know, get some money and pay him. Oklahoma's probably, I don't know, I'm just guessing Oklahoma's probably paying him more than he's getting paid at Alabama. Uh, and I mean, this is somebody that I'm guessing, I, I, don't, I don't know how much Brent Venables knows about Vali. Maybe Venables knows Vali like for years and that's, that was his handpicked guy or maybe he was referred, maybe Venables had Vali referred to him. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not that much of an inside guy. I don't know, but uh, you know, Venables bringing him on, like, remember how, how confused you we were with Ted Roof? And like all the other people he put, he's put around Ted Roof now. It's like, oh, okay, I, I get it now. I mean, you got Todd Bates. I mean, it was uh, obvious that on. they hired Ted Roof so they could get his son to come play linebacker. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. Uh, okay, so what else there on the rundown in the news and notes portion? Do you want to hit on before we get to the Caleb Williams for a bit or for, um, you know whatever? I mean, do we just want to kind of talk about the, the defensive transfers and as well as Todd Bates kind of at the same time? I don't have much to say about Todd Bates under than. Um, I really like Todd Bates from what I've seen so far. He kind of seems, well, seems like a guy. Like he's he's hitting the recruiting trail. They're bringing in some yes. guy. Like they got the Jeffrey Johnson transfer from Tulane, who is supposed to be good, even though you think he's terrible. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> I don't think he's terrible. I just think it's very likely he's just a guy. <laughs> like that's that's the most overwhelmingly likely explanation for him. Um, but no, I mean, I the, the thing that 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 excites me the most about Todd Bates is that. And I hate that this is a thing that you have to kind of gauge social media for people. But there was a lot of blue chip type recruits who seemed to really notice that Todd Bates is at OU now. And like I'm talking about guys in the southeast on the defensive line that OU just doesn't get ever. Um, and if this opens those doors, like if, if OU can can still kind of recruit an SC, at an SEC level without being in the SEC, I would prefer them to not be in the SEC be the next Clemson yeah yeah uh, so okay so what what are the train like there's so many transfers like I, I it's one of those things where in my mind like we'll have plenty of time to talk about these guys at a later date anybody out that you want to touch on particularly I mean I'll, I'll I brought up Jeffrey Johnson okay the two-lane guy interior lineman I I mean I've heard that he is he was very I shouldn't say I've heard like it's pretty well known he was very highly sought after and I've heard from a, a pretty reliable source that he was considered to be the best defensive lineman in the portal. So Oklahoma got him. And I'm going to guess that Todd Bates had probably a lot to do with that. Like that hilarious picture that, <laughs> that Todd Bates likes to, I guess, take with people where he's like got the guy in their three-point stance. And hilarious. Todd Bates is like, yeah, man, here we go. Hilarious. Uh, I, I don't know Todd Bates. I haven't met him. Every, like, I love the guy. He seems, he seems like kind of a I, weird I follow dude. I him on Twitter. Like he in seems a, super nice. Like in an endearing Super jolly, way. super positive. Yeah. I just really like positive people. As I get into my old age, I just I, I realize I I try to be more positive. I try because I just I don't know. It's yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, so it, so the Johnson guy, I, I I disagree with you. I think there's a chance that a lot of these guys could be uh, first team All Americans and first round NFL draft picks. Uh, comments, questions, thoughts. What do you think? <laughs> I think the best case scenario for essentially any of these guys are that they are 
experienced blue collar guys who will do the dirty work and will do nice and will do a nice job complimenting the better players around them. So in the case of Jeffrey Johnson, he will do a nice job complimenting a much better player, Jalen Redmond, around him. Um, I'm, you know, I'm hoping my my favorite of the defensive transfers is CJ Colden, the corner from Wyoming. Um, I like his, and this is, I mean, I've seen some highlights. I've I've watched. Um, I went back and I watched uh, one of Wyoming's games, and I tried to watch all the defensive snaps, and I noticed him, and he's he seems like a good player. He's just a good player. He was he was all uh, he was second team all Mountain West. Um, he kind of plays with a chip on his shoulder. I went through and and read some stuff. He was he kind of had some injury issues this season, and a lot of the the kind of the Wyoming centric stuff I read made it seem like you know th- the defense was really hurt when he was out. Um, he's a guy I like. I do think the guy the one guy that you can circle as a guy who is going to come in and is going to play right away, probably start right away is Trey Morrison. Uh, the, the, uh, the defensive back transfer from UNC. I look at him. I wouldn't be surprised at all. If he just, if, if he is Pat Fields' replacement, he's going to play safety. I think is my guess. Really interesting. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on any of these guys yet just because there's been so many, uh, but I have heard super positive things about all of them, but I, I get it. They're, they're transfers, but uh, it, everything kind of falls into the same basket with me. I, I like there's lots of defensive transfers, and I just I want to see how they progress, how they develop with this new defensive staff because I, you know, that's what gets me excited about it, man. Like This defensive staff is going to be a lot better than the last defensive staff. It just – and again, like caveat – Thank you, Alex Grinch. You definitely improved the defense. The defense was atrocious when you got here. You immediately helped turn the defense around. I will say, though, in 2021, in year three, the defense got worse. Defense so, was like, bad. That's this not was, a good I mean, sign. Was by far, by far of the three defenses at OU, was by far the worst one that Alex Grinch had. I didn't think it was close. Like, not even really close at all. Um, that the 2019 defense, was, defense was, was really only bad in, like, three games and was actually very good the rest of the season. Um, you know, 2020, the defense was, was good to very good the entire year. And, and really, I mean, what you could say the defense was kind of okay, like in September this year. And that was really it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it was fine until I think the, the Texas game, the Texas game was an absolute disaster. And that was the start of that ridiculous. No, it was bad. They were really bad against Kansas state too. Wasn't, was that, Oh, was Kansas State the first of the? Yeah, the K State was K-State early October. Was, was, and the was, uh, was, was the first that. game in October. Remember, like Skyler, okay. yeah, Skyler, uh, Skyler Thompson threw for over three hundred yards. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. I I was thinking Texas was before K State. Uh, you're right. Yeah, we were both at that game. I should remember. Yeah. So whatever the yeah, K State was the start of just absolute. I mean, I, I it was one of our podcasts. I think I I crunched the numbers and. That stretch of games, I think it was four games, the defense statistically was was worse than the 2018 defense, which is one of the worst defenses in Power 5 college football history, I think. It was awful. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's not great whenever your defense is good year one, year two it improves, and going into year three you have a lot of returning starters, a lot of players back, and it gets worse. It was your worst defense. That's not a good trajectory. So, yeah, I mean, if these, else, guys, yeah. if these guys they're bringing in, I mean, if they're experienced dudes who are experienced playing like team defense and I mean, like I look, I mean, if 
can CJ Colden get off a block and tackle a receiver behind the line of scrimmage on a on you know on a on a swing pass or do the same to to a running back you know if he can do that great that's awesome <laughs> like i mean it's um so i mean i'm i'm looking up and down the list i think it's kind of it's kind of ironic it's kind of funny looking at it. like the guy who had the best 2021 season of all of these transfers was was Ted Roof's kid TD Roof at App State um, and he had and he had 41 tackles, but he had 10 TFLs. That's 10 plays he made. And I'm going through it. I don't, I don't see a whole lot of that for a lot of these transfers. That doesn't have to mean anything. It doesn't have to, but it probably does mean a little bit that these guys like that. That's the one thing. A lot of these guys that have brought it have not really been massive playmakers in college outside of, I would say, CJ Colden, um, and in, in his two years at Wyoming, um, and then Trey Morris, you could say he's been a four-year starter at UNC. Um, also saw, also some uh, some stuff about Trey Morrison. He was the most targeted guy in the ACC multiple years. He was a starter at UNC, which is a really bad sign. Um, yeah, I don't like that. Uh, okay, sure they haven't been playmakers, but have any of these guys played in a defense with Brent Venables at the top? And Ted Roof calling the plays, baby? I don't know if he's going to be calling the plays. Uh, and you know what? Hey, TD Roof, Ted Roof's kid, like, he's coming in. He's a linebacker. He probably thought, hey, this is awesome. I get to play linebacker for Brent Venables, who's one of the best linebacker coaches in college football. Like, that like, – yeah, I don't know. I just, I just think that Brent Venables is such a good coach that, yeah, I, I'm buying into the tutelage, everything just being so much better – than it was and yeah i get it it's 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 going to be year one you can't have super high expectations because there's a lot of change but heck what if what if like like what if it was really bad what if it actually was really really bad at oklahoma and like just a little bit of tutelage is going to make a, a big step that's i guess my glass half full thing is like i i i do not like oklahoma's defense that scheme was not good it 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 was fine but it like, I just I'm putting a lot of I'm putting a lot of faith like I have ever since the day he was hired into Brent Venables. And can I be wrong? Of course I could be wrong. Absolutely. Uh, but I feel like it's an educated guess. No, I mean I do like going forward, I feel so much better about the defense going forward. And I think it was but it was it was just kind of a quick thing that happened this year where uh, a lot of us turned on Alex Grinch because you go back to the end of 2020, everything was looking great. I thought, you know, the defense was in its best was I, I thought the defense was was the best it had been since at least 2013 by the end of 2020. Uh, they had a lot I mean a majority of their tackles coming back, their entire defensive line coming back outside of Ronnie Perkins who only played in four games anyway. Um, I, you know it's it was just such a surprise that they took such a step back this season. and I think the worst part about it this year Lee was watching him take a step back. Was when you listen to Alex Grinch and then you, then you watch the product on the field in between press conferences, and then us slowly starting to come to the realization that he didn't have any answers, that there no. was no adjustments they could make, there was nothing that 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 his, you know, his system, um, and his scheme didn't allow for adjustments. They just weren't nope. built into the equation, um, and nope. it's like it's, and he wasn't flexible enough to to do it like to be a football coach granted 
Alex Grinch knows a lot more about football than me. I get it. Yes, but like very much so. It's so bad. Like you have to be able to build in some certain things to be flexible. And Grinch didn't have it, and neither does Lincoln Riley. Uh, and the, both both guys were kind of cut from the same jib when it comes to that. Like for, uh, it's I, their I thing, think, and they run it. Yeah, I, I think it's really unlikely that Brent Venables is going to get absolutely smoked running a certain scheme in a game, and then come out and just do the exact same thing every single time the next game. Um, which is. And I know that's probably been a little unfair to Alex Grinch, but nuts and bolts main. I mean, that was it. Oh, that oh, you ran same stuff over and over again, regardless of if they were playing well, playing poorly, getting beat, not getting beat. Same thing over and over again. And <laughs> is that? I mean, it's not it's probably offense, also probably not fair. Dream. No better, no that's better representation offense. of that than the Peach Bowl. Just go over. Just go watch LSU. Just pick on the same thing over and over and over again. And OU not adjusting. Okay, like you want to use the Peach Bowl, the best offense ever. Sure. I could also use 2021 Kansas. Oh, yeah. Kansas. Kansas. Um, go to 2021 Texas, 2021 Kansas State, 2021 TCU. Yeah. So, I mean, like you don't even have to pick the best offense ever. You can pick bad offenses that figured out ways. Go watch the, man, go watch the, the Alamo Bowl and watch an Oregon team that could have just, could have just ran inside or split zone the entire game and probably would have been much closer would <laughs> scored more points even though i guess they did score on long touchdown bombs in the second half which is obviously the best way to yeah, score, i haven't but i have not watched back that game at all so i don't know what happened on those big busts and i'll probably there's never literally it, so. no reason to ever go back and rewatch it unless <laughs> you want to unless you just want to be like hey you know what i just want to live in the good vibes that the three and a half hours of this game put off. But I'm just like, eh, whatever. Bob Stoops, baby. And also, if you want to watch Caleb Williams' probably last game at Oklahoma, uh, real quick, let's talk about him real fast. Like, I teased at the very start of the show. We're almost two hours in. Okay, he has not decided where he's going yet. It's been three-plus weeks. He entered the portal three weeks ago Monday. What is he waiting for? Uh, we talked a little bit about this off the air before like basically in my mind the longer the time goes by like we all assume usc but the longer the time goes by it's like is it going to be usc and for people that are truly insane like me and i'll admit i'm truly insane in the situation i i know it's not rational i know i know it's not rational and it's probably not going to happen but since he has not made a decision yet I'm still not ruling out Oklahoma <laughs> just because it hasn't been decided yet. That's how my brain works. I know it's not going to happen, but the fact that he hasn't made a decision yet <laughs> makes me think. And also I did hear that technically Oklahoma still again, technically is still an option. <laughs> I know it's like, so anyways, like I'm just, I'm surprised that he hasn't made a decision here. I'll put, here's my prompt to you, Grant. I read in the L.A. Times uh, a story came out yesterday that in order for a transfer player to participate in USC's spring semester and also spring football practice, that the transfer must be enrolled as a full-time student by January 28th. That is this Friday. If that's true and we get to Friday and we get past Friday without a decision, I mean, does that mean that he's not going to USC? 
And like, again, another question, if that happens, like, again, like, we'll see if that's like, maybe there's a way they can still finagle it to like, ah, we can still pass the deadline. He can still come here. I don't know. But like, what if this Friday is decision day potentially, or we, we learn if USC is in or out and will that also trigger maybe a Jackson dart decision? If we find out, you know, we get to Saturday and there's no word or is he, is he going to be sneaky and is, is he going to decide, but not tell anybody. <laughs> and then we find out later, he, he actually is going to USC, but we didn't know. I, this is what happens whenever this a, a player of his caliber is in the portal for this long. And we're all just like, come on, man, what's going on? Do you have any thoughts, takes? What are your thoughts? This is unprecedented. Say? It's a, it's a super, super interesting college football story because this has never happened before. I mean, this is it's it's high profile free agency, and like very obviously, this is not following any of the the historical trends of college football. So you know, I, I don't. I do got to say though, I mean, like in the it's anyone who's listening to this knows my you know my thoughts on the matter are pretty well summed up. He's not coming back to OU. I told you that the day <sighs> after the Alamo Bowl. Um, but. If he were to come back to OU, you have to come and listen to the show just to hear my meltdown and just to hear the <laughs> You have to. I mean, it would be it would be tremendous content. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, again, it's not gonna happen. I mean, okay. It's probably not gonna happen. Because again, like I have heard that technically OU is still in play. But okay. I'm like, at the point if he if he were to come back to OU, he would have to do a lot of work to win me back over. <laughs> like, and I'm dead serious. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, you hinted at it a second ago. Yes, I'll give you credit. You were out on this basically right away that he's gone. He's not coming back to Oklahoma, and you're probably soon to be proven correct on that. So and I I'm, don't again, like. I, I don't. I don't wish any ill will on him. I don't like. I. I. You know. But if you're not at OU, to hell with you. Get out of here. <laughs> like. How would that go, though? Let's say in a crazy world, something happens. It triggers Caleb Williams thinking, man, I OU's for me. I this is the I got to go back. Like, how's that first team meeting going? Like, hey, guys, what's up, man? Let's do this. 2022, here we come. And like, are the guys like mobbing him like, hey, Caleb, what up, man? Or are they like super annoyed and they kind of look around like, dude, man, you're like gone. What's going on here? Like, I, I don't know. I can't. I don't know how their I don't know how their locker room would re, like would react. I know if I was in that locker room, I'd be, he'd have to do a lot to win me back over. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm probably, is, I'd be the same way. His, it's the way that he handled everything. If he decides to come back to OU, is is made instantly worse. Instantly, like it 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 meant it meant everything was totally pointless. There was no reason to go through any of it. Or he went through all of his options, and he really, you know, he, he truly needed to see his options. And heck, Oklahoma was the right place all along. And in, in a weird way, that could also be like. And then I would Damn, say this is a great place. I would say that type of decision making is just, just is just not great for a team sport like football. And you should you should I move mean, on. Maybe maybe not. So again, okay, like, I I'm what I still I'm think saying USC, is. What I'm, what I'm essentially saying is Oklahoma should tell Kayla Williams no. They should say, we have moved on, goodbye. I mean, and there's a chance that that's already happened. I, I, I don't know that. Um, I, I've tried to talk to some people and hear some things. I have heard certain things, but I don't know about that for sure. 
the last thing I heard is that like they're again I've said it I think twice now technically OU is still an option that's what I've heard uh, but how much what does that mean probably again not much like I, I still think USC because I just think it's consistent he went to OU for Lincoln Riley Lincoln Riley's there but again like I said at the very top of this Caleb Williams segment the more the time goes by I start to question my thoughts on USC I was talking to Dusty on Sunday he was telling me that you know aside from USC there are some other schools still in the running uh, curiously UCLA I, I just Chip Kelly's there but I just okay I mean it's still the same city and also Wisconsin and then today you were texting me before the show started that uh, an on three recruiting I'm not sure what the titles are recruiting analyst or somebody from on three uh, projected Caleb to, to Wisconsin yeah, like they at 65% or something or crystal ball whatever they call it yeah so like I had kind of heard Wisconsin recently it was like kind of in play and then Dusty said it and I was like wow okay it must be kind of real uh but actually like somebody crystal balling him to Wisconsin is like oh okay so uh okay like that doesn't I mean on the surface I don't really get it but you know maybe if that happens we can talk about it that's you some talk about, about uh <laughs> Talk about tuning into the podcast just for content and tune in for the meltdown. Can almost you could say the same thing if he went to Wisconsin too. You know, a lot of people. I I graduated from the University of Minnesota. Wisconsin is their biggest rival. Wisconsin is easily, and I I I think about this stuff long enough to yes, I have ranked them in my head. Wisconsin is my third most hated college <laughs> football program, uh, behind Texas number one and LSU number two. And um, that's hilarious. So is Oregon through Oregon four? Uh, no, Oregon would not be four. Oregon oh, is pretty. Okay. Oregon is maybe fringe top ten here. Oh my gosh! I USC would probably be ahead of Oregon. I don't know. A no lot time of, to rank them now. I'm not. I'm not going. I'm point? not going to rank them right now. Uh, but I'm telling you, like, yeah, Wisconsin one that would be interesting. That would be a thing that would annoy me on a personal level because you got, you know, Caleb Williams would be going to one of my, my least favorite programs. A, and like, like I'm going to say this and this is going to come off totally as a, just a sour grapes fan thing, a fan base that just straight up does not deserve a quarterback of that caliber just does not. <laughs> um, and so that would be irritating to me. Uh, but from Russell an outsider's Wilson. perspective, just kind of top down, uh, that would be excellent for college football. That would be very good if if the the biggest high profile free agent transfer at this point in time, you know, went from Oklahoma not to a Georgia or some SEC team that's primed to win a national title, but went to Wisconsin instead. That would be excellent for college football. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting. So if that happens, we'll definitely talk about it. I have also heard that Georgia is in play as well as LSU, and then again the aforementioned Oklahoma, technically OU. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, this whole thing with the LA Times story I read about Friday being potentially a day like where they have to be enrolled at USC. So I, now in my mind, like Friday is kind of interesting. I'll be kind of looking out for that. Uh, and man, I'm just so surprised we don't know yet. I'm so surprised. But uh, it's uh, I, I'm yeah. I, I thought that we would have found out by now, but the fact it, it doesn't surprise me that it hasn't happened yet because yeah. they are like. I think I, I think I think you know taking everything in the best light possible. I think he and his family are just people that 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 move by the beat of their own drum, 
And um, I guess, you know, that's for some people and, and not for some people. And I guess, yeah, from my perspective, if you're going to do that, then leave other people out of it. Then you need to shut up. But that's that's just me. Okay, we do have one listener question from Facebook, but we've gone way too long, and I want to save it for later. It's from Michael. Michael, I saw your question. I guess I'll tease it ahead. Maybe we'll talk about this next week. Michael wants to know, what's a position group that you're most excited to see with a new assistant coach? Defensive backs. Uh, Easy. That's all. I'm I'm just going to... It's defensive backs. uh, It's like not even close. Because I have... All right. Well, I, I have a, a couple answers for that. Uh, okay. But because uh, I, I got to get rolling here because, uh, well, I've drinking a lot of water in this podcast. I'll put it that way. Uh, you have any final thoughts before we uh, wrap this bad boy up? I echo your final thoughts. Thank you. Uh, all right. Well, that'll do it for today. Uh, like I said, we do have a show planned for next week. And I mentioned it earlier in the, in the podcast. We're going to go back, look at our preseason predictions and see how we did. And in fact, I've already done it. Like I said, I've listened back and I got to say, I don't know if I told you this. That might it might have been my best preseason prediction show ever. I mean, I did pretty well. Grant, eh, you had some wins. Well, no, I mean, I bought some in losses. I forget. I drank the Kool Aid, man. I thought that they were going to be eh. great. I whatever. But I mean, this is more. I mean, this is from the whole thing we did. You know, predicting stats, leaders from OU, and then the Big Twelve, the National. Um, so, should be pretty interesting. Hopefully, you guys enjoy that. We'll do that next week. Until that time. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.